Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and once again we ask that you would take this service, that you would use it to your honor and glory. We ask that each song that is sung, the special music, the preaching, and Lord, most of all, the invitation time at the end would be a time where we would surrender our hearts and our directions and offer praise and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, Philippians chapter 4. We live in a confusing day, do we not? I mean, there is just so many things going on. And one of the phrases that I hear so often, even on the news and in conversation with people, is that there's just so much going on that it's hard to even know what to think. Boy, doesn't that describe our day? So I'm going to preach on what to think today, all right? Uh, the biblical answer, some people uh, accuse us of wanting to brainwash people and and all of that. I'll tell you what, every once in a while your brain could use a good bath, couldn't it? Uh, just wash out all the crud of this world and all the problems and, and fill it up with the Bible. Amen? Now let's just look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. We sang verse 4 in our Sunday school time this morning. Verse 6 tells us, not to worry about things, but to be pray, uh, bring them to God in prayer. Verse 7 tells us, The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts. And verse 8 tells us what to think. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. So turn off the radio and throw away the newspaper. Amen. Whatsoever things are honest. Stop listening to the politicians. Whatsoever things are just. Boy, we could go on, couldn't we? Whatsoever things are pure. Boy, that eliminates an awful lot right there, doesn't it? Whatsoever things are lovely. And by the way, let God define what is lovely and what isn't. Amen. Whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any, if there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, think on these things. This is what we're supposed to be thinking about. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think we're a lot alike in many ways. We just go through the day, have a few moments just to, to be still, and what do we begin thinking about? All that's going on in the world around us. And we think, how could it get any worse? And then we listen to what is being said by our government and what is being said by the people who are supposed to be the smartest people. And then I begin to think, how could it get any better? Uh, and, and you begin to worry about these things and you think... and. And I'll tell you, then you turn on the radio and talk and, and every one of those guys has all the answers for the entire world. You ever notice that? I mean, if we would only listen to, we could have all the answers. And the simple truth of the matter is, no one has all the answers. Only God. Amen? Amen. Now let's go to the book of Galatians. You've got Ephesians before Philippians and Galatians before Ephesians. So two books back. Chapter 6. The first thing the world tells us to think about, God tells us not to think about. And Galatians chapter 6 Verse 3, it says, For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now, doesn't that describe the world in which we live today to a T? I mean, we have everyone thinking they have all the answers. 
I've caught myself on a couple of occasions. Well, if, if they'd only do this, we could have some solutions to some of our problems. But if you think that President Obama's going to call you up and ask your opinion, you are sadly deluded, my friend. He's not interested. And, and by the way, neither was George Bush, and, and neither is, uh, oh, what is his name, Chuck Schumer, or uh, anybody else interested in what you think. I remember Carolyn Maloney, our representative, wrote me a letter several years ago and said, we're trying to get community feedback, and you're a pastor in our community, and, and uh, I think for the first time and only time in my entire life, I might have agreed slightly with Mrs. Maloney on a point of politics, and I wrote her a letter back and said, uh, this is, yeah, a good thing, and we're for this, and then she wrote me another letter and asked about something else that totally disagreed on. And so I figured, well, she liked my first letter, I'll send her another one. She never ever wrote back. <laughs> Couldn't figure that out. She, she liked the letter when I agreed with her, but when I disagreed, she didn't like that letter at all. In fact, I got no response that she had ever received it. And uh, I begin to think, you know, maybe they just don't care after all. But the first thing not to think about is about yourself and your abilities. If you're here today and you're saved, it's because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Amen? If you're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with your life, if your life is going to matter in eternity, it's not going to be something you do to please God that's going to matter in eternity. It's when we surrender from what we want to do and obey God's word. And by the way, there's only one way you can obey God's word. You've got to go to him and ask him for the strength to be obedient to it. Amen? Because in our human nature, in what makes us up, there is nothing good. There is nothing in us that wants to obey God. We need discipline, amen? We need to change ourselves and our thoughts. And we look here in, in Galatians chapter 6, and it says, Brethren, verse 1, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, one of the great problems that we have in our society today is we have a group of people running around that believe they have everyone's answer to every one of their problems. Have you ever met one? I mean, they'll tell you how to park your car. They'll tell you what kind of car you should be driving. I, I love listening to all this. You're going to destroy the universe by driving a big car. Well, you find me one of those little two-seaters that I can fit uh, 11 kids in, and I'll drive it, all right? But until you do, we'll just stick with a 15-passenger van because it's the only thing that works. Um, they'll tell you what kind of food. How many of you read that devotion that was in the Baptist bread where the guy was telling you, oh, I kind of got a little nervous, he was telling you all the dietary things. And, and we should eat well, and we should eat right. But have you ever met a health food nut? Are they healthy? Most of them aren't. You, you need to eat right, yes. But do we really need Mayor Bloomberg setting the diet at all the restaurants in New York City? It's a little scary, doesn't it? 
We have people who run around thinking they have all the answers. And with that thought process comes something called arrogance. I know better than you do. Back in the 1600s, there was a great debate raging in England. It was called the divine right of kings. That God had created this special class of human beings that had innate abilities to rule the rest of the world. How many of you believe that? Well, I'm in the right church, amen. I mean, God created all human beings the same. We have different abilities. But no one human being is measured in God's love any more than another human being. We have a great problem in our life in thinking of men more highly than we ought to. The answer for mankind is not in mankind. It's in God. That's where the answer is, amen? And the Bible tells us that we need to bear one another's burdens. We need to help one another through this life. In fact, that's what church is all about. Is to care one for another. To stand alongside one another. To encourage each other to simply be obedient to what's written down in the Bible. Amen? We don't need to go anywhere else. I often, when I think of people who are high-minded, a name that probably doesn't mean much to you other than we mention it here occasionally, How many of you have ever read the works of Voltaire? How many even know who he was? He was a French philosopher. He made the statement in his lifetime, in his house in Switzerland, that before he died, people would throw away their Bibles and be reading Voltaire. Now, how many here have actually read Voltaire? I mean, you've actually picked up the book and read. Well, actually, it's a whole shelf full of books. I mean, he was a prolific writer. I've never taken any time to read any of his stuff because I know basically where it's going and what it says. I don't want to read about somebody who thinks he's that great. By the way, the Swiss Bible Society bought that house, and on the very spot he made those statements, put a press that is still printing Bibles 200 years after he's dead and gone to whatever reward was awaiting him, uh, the Bible's fairly clear about what that would be, and it wasn't heaven. The Bible tells us we need to help one another, but we're not to think of ourselves more than we ought to. How many of you have ever had somebody come along and try to give you a helping hand? And the whole time they were looking down their nose and made you feel like a little worm and a stupid idiot for all the things that they... Have you ever had anybody help you like that? Don't you just feel wonderful when it's all done? You just want to go, I know i got to have you help me. I just can't wait until you leave. I'd rather do it wrong than have to do it right this way. I mean, isn't that what goes on in our hearts? God is not want, uh, does not want us as Christians to go around somehow thinking that we are better than everyone else. We're here to help people bear their burdens. But it says how? Watching ourselves, lest we also be tempted. There's not a one of us in this room that is not capable of committing any sin that is out there. What we need to do is look to God because He's the one that forgave us for those sins and grab a hold of somebody's hand and say, let me encourage you to walk 
with the Lord. Rather than trying to figure out all the answers to the global economic crisis, how about you find somebody that's willing to let you give them a hand? That's the kind of thinking we need today. Amen? This is the kind of thinking God wants us to think about in the Bible. And we get down in the famous verses in this chapter, verses 7 through 9, and be not... Deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I mean, what we put in, God is going to give us back. I'll tell you what, you start finding somebody that could use a real helping hand and help them in the spirit of humility and godly love. And when it comes time that you need help, guess what? Somebody's going to be there. That's what this passage is talking about. So often we preach it in a negative sense. You better watch what you do. But, hey, let's, let's put it in the sense God meant it in. You start bearing one another's burdens, and when you get weary, someone's going to help bear yours. That's the kind of thinking we need in this day and time. Amen? Don't worry about writing a book. Somebody already has. And it's collecting dust on somebody's shelf, just like all the other books that are out there. Get busy and live. That's how God wants us to think. Amen? Don't think about yourself and your ability. Think about how God could use you to be a blessing to someone else. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, in verse 12, it tells us, Beloved, First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now here's what Peter is telling them. He says, listen... Don't think that suffering, that the trials of this life are a strange and unusual thing. You turn on the television today and you'll find a preacher out there who'll say, listen, if there's any sickness in your life, it's because of sin. If you just get it right with God, you can live a perfectly happy life. And I'm happy all the time. I met a preacher like that several years ago. We were sitting at a table and he, one of the preachers said, Brother so-and-so, how come you're happy all the time? Every time I see you, there's a smile on your face. And he just looked over with a straight face and he says, I fake it. I said, whoa, wait a minute. I, I want to be real, Amen. Fiery trials hurt. They inflict pain. And the Bible says, don't think that suffering is wrong, but you better suffer for the right reasons. There are some reasons to suffer in this life. I have lost many good and close friends over the years. People I went to Bible college with, people that I served the Lord with, people that I enjoyed talking about the Bible with, but they changed their mind and their hearts about what they thought the Bible said. They used to say, I believe God's Word is in one book, the King James Bible in the English language. Amen. We agree. A few years later, well, you can't really believe that all the other versions are wrong, can you? Yeah. There's lots of good reasons to believe that. The fellowship isn't there anymore. 
and it hurts. But you have to make a choice. Are you going to have friends that are going to build you up in the faith? Or friends that you have to protect your faith from? This group over here, not this side of the auditorium, all right? Those friends that you have to protect your faith from eventually are going to lead you in a direction where you're going to be doing the exact same things they are. I've seen it happen. I have preacher friends that if if I could have gone to them 10 years ago and said, listen, you're going to deny everything you believe except salvation. You're going to have a rock concert in your church on Sunday morning and call it worship. They'd have gotten in a fist fight with me. But they're doing it today. And they're happy about it. Something has happened inside the mind and heart to move someone in that direction. Now far be it from me to think more highly of myself than I ought to and go out and try to correct all of their problems. We got enough to handle right here, amen? There's enough people to help right here in our church. I don't need to worry about what's going on in all the other cities and all the other churches and on the TV ministries and all of those things. But here's what it tells us. It says, if you are suffering for the right reasons, you can rejoice. Look at verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. We should expect people to say bad things about the Bible and Jesus Christ who are not saved. We should expect that. We should expect the false religionist to criticize and downplay what is true from the Bible. You see, when you step off of the words of this Bible, the only thing that you can do to defend yourself is criticize those people who still do. The only place you can go. Somebody said, why are there so many different religions? I said, well, it's real easy. It all goes back to how you handle this book. If you believe these words just the way they were written, there's only one place you can go. That's why they call it systematic theology. Because when you collate Scripture, when you take the verses and you put them together in specific orders, you're going to get a specific result. Now, granted, there's as many different systems as there are people to invent them. And I've read books that have said, if you accept an actual, literal, historical, grammatical understanding of the Bible, you will believe that Jesus will come back to earth and reign for a thousand years. And they're just dripping in sarcasm and you can almost hear them spitting the hatred on the page. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Amen? Then comes the big but. But we don't believe you have to interpret the Bible literally. The words really don't mean what they say. We can rearrange them to mean what we want them to say. Well, they don't say that, but that's what they do. My dad was a machinist. He ran milling machines and lays and... Uh, one of the biggest machines I ever saw was called a screw machine. It was almost the length of half this auditorium, 30-some feet long, 12, 15 foot high. And 
he could go and set that machine up and take big pieces of steel and make little pieces of steel out of them. But the little pieces of steel you'd put in and they would fit and they would make the drill or he worked for Black and Decker Tool and Die Company and he made the gears and the shafts and the different parts of the motors and they had to be made to specifications. A sheet of notebook paper is five thousandths of an inch thick. Most of the tolerance that he was working with was half of that or less. And you had to make 10,000 parts and they all had to match perfectly. That's pretty cool stuff. But let me tell you something, never once did my dad allegorically interpret the shop manual or the blueprints. He just did what it said. And you know what? He kept his job for 28 years until he passed away. Why do we take this book called the Bible and interpret it by our feelings? Well, I think the Bible says, well, you know what? God doesn't really care what you think the Bible says because it already says what it says. Amen? He says, think not that it's a strange thing when fiery trials come. If you suffer reproach because you're being obedient to the words of this book, guess what? You have something to be happy about. But if you're suffering, look at verse 15. It says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer. Now, we go, Amen, Amen, Amen. How many of you read the next one? As a busybody. Oh, wait a minute. That's minor. How in the world did that one get put in with all those big sins? Well, God considers it just as big as the other. The Bible says, let none of you suffer for doing wrong. This is what we need to think about. Amen? I do not know anyone, have never met a living human being that has not had suffering in their life. Do you know of anybody? I mean, suffering is part of life, is it not? But here's the scary part. You get to choose the kind of suffering you had. If you be obedient to this word, you can suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. If you be disobedient to this word, you can suffer because sin always brings suffering. You know, innocent people suffer the most because of sin, do they not? I mean, do we have to illustrate that point? The little babies born addicted to drugs because their mothers did horrible things while they were carrying that poor little child in their womb. How can you suffer more than that? How could you be more innocent? And yet the law of our land says that that innocent little life can be snuffed out at the mere women fancy. When I get thinking on those things... I want to go back and start solving all the problems of the world. How about you? But is it going to do any good? I cannot stop abortion. It's not within my power. Now, some people have tried to do it. They've committed murder. They've blown up buildings. Other people have tried to do it as biblically as possible by just standing and giving a simple testimony to the evils of abortion. But abortion is not the gospel. Don't substitute it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. Amen? 
And this is our message. You can choose how you're going to suffer. And look here to verse 17, and this is where we need to really take a warning this morning. For the time has come, the judgment must begin at where? The house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. This is how we need to think in the world in which we live. We need to make sure that the suffering that is in our life is not because we're doing something wrong. Amen? We should not suffer by being disobedient to the Word of God. And when suffering does come, we just keep doing right because we're committing our souls to the faithful God who is the only one that can keep us through suffering. Amen? So as we try to figure out how we need to think in this crazy, mixed-up, convoluted world, number one, stop thinking about yourself and find someone that you can humbly help with the Word of God. Amen? Check yourself, because that's where the sin starts first. Second, when suffering does come, and it will come in your life, make sure it's the right kind of suffering. How do you do that? By thinking about how you lived on a daily basis. Amen? The decisions I'm making today, are they going to draw me closer to the Lord or take me further away? Are they going to help me be obedient to God? Or are they going to make it harder to be obedient to God? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, we've not covered every verse in the Bible on thinking, that's for sure. But we want to get and give enough things to think about to keep us busy for a week or two. Amen? Uh, In fact, if you could just spend the rest of your life looking for somebody to humbly and scripturally help, you'd be a whole lot better off than you are today. Amen? We'd stop worrying about the suffering that comes into our life as some horrible thing that happened to us and make sure that that suffering that is in our life is from obedience to God's Word, then we don't have to worry about it. We can commit ourselves to doing right, helping others, being obedient to God's Word, and just keep moving forward in spite of suffering. Amen? Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 and let's look at verse 20 and then we'll get to context and put it all together here. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him, talking about Jesus, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Can you say amen with me this morning? The last point that we want to look at this morning is don't think. You ever got in trouble by thinking too hard about things? Hmm? How many of you remember Peter? my oldest son. He had to think about everything. I mean, we'd be in the middle of a project. And I'd say, son, I want you to hold this. And he'd just stand there. I said, son, didn't you understand what I said? He said, I did, but I don't understand why you said what you said. Therefore, I can't do it until I understand why you said 
what I said. I said, son, this thing weighs 150 pounds. Give me a hand. And we would go on. He, he just thought too much. Sometimes we think too much. Sometimes we feel that we need to somehow understand everything that's going on so that we can really be a part of what's happening. Now, I don't mean to be rude this morning, but do you think God cares that you understand everything? Absolutely not. In fact, he's put some things in this book that there's absolutely no way you can understand them, no matter if you spent the entire life that God gives you thinking about them, because he's not interested in your thought process as much as he is in your obedience. Amen? Here, let's go back and get the context so you know I'm not making this stuff up, all right? Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, how? Can you read those next two words? Let me start again, and then when we get to those two words, you read them out loud with me. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, is faith something you can understand? No, that's why we call it faith. Faith is simply believing Something that God said because God said it. Now, there's all kinds of faith in this world. In fact, we spent a Sunday several uh, while way, way back on misappropriated faith, wrong kinds of faith. I will challenge you that it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in the Creator God. There are more unanswered questions, more things you cannot prove, more things you cannot understand believing in evolution than there is to believe in God. In fact, I've had the evolutionists say, oh, you just, you just make it so childish. You just believe God can do everything. You, you take a God that can do everything and you just blame it all on him. I said, I don't blame it all on him. I give him credit for all the good things and you all the credit for the bad things. Amen. It's the sin of man that's brought the bad things into this world, is it not? Listen. Christ wants to dwell in our hearts, and there's only one way he will do that. Through faith. He that cometh to God must believe what? That he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have a lot of people who refuse to believe in God because they don't think he's a good God. You know why they don't think he's a good God? Because they believe that they have the definition of good. I got a paper the other day. It was one of the strangest things I've ever read in my life. It, you know how those envelopes come in the mail and you know something really weird is inside. You ever have that happen? I opened this thing up and it started out saying, most people think they have the truth of the Bible, but I'm here to tell you, you don't. And I said, ooh, this is going to be good. Not in a good sense. This is really going to, I couldn't, I'll tell you what, in my wildest dream, I couldn't believe that anybody would say anything as mixed up, as evil, as unbelievably stupid as this person put in this letter. The synopsis was this. Have you ever wondered why there's so much difference between what Christ did and the Old Testament? Well, the God of the Old Testament is called Satan. And he hated Jesus and Jesus died so that he could have final victory over the God of the Old Testament. And I know this is true. Now, have you ever heard anything so 
I mean, I wanted to send a letter back. Please, for your own safety, check yourself in somewhere. Make sure it's padded. And, and they got lots of nice medicine and there's nice people there to help you out. You know what I'm saying? You've got to be insane, beyond insane to make those kind of statements reading this book called the Bible. But there it was in print. Say, what did you do with it? I shredded it because I didn't want to be tempted to write a letter to that person. I don't have time. Anybody that's that messed up doesn't want to be straightened out. The Bible is very clear. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so that the holiness of God could be fulfilled in the righteous sacrifice of our Savior. Amen? That Jesus of the New Testament, God the Father of the Old Testament, are part of... Boy, did I say that wrong. I was going to say part of the Trinity of God. I guess that is grammatically correct, but you can't have part of the Trinity of God. I mean, the way we look at God is one God. Amen? And by the way, if you think you can understand the Trinity, uh, maybe you need to stop by for medication on the way home. Uh, God put things in his book called the Bible that you can't understand. Because he wants us to simply surrender our lives to him. Amen? Did you read the next verse? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know and to know the love of God which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that worketh in us. God doesn't want us to think and try to understand things that God never meant us to understand. He wants us to know his love. Sometimes I sit down and try to figure out why my wife puts up with me. But you know what? That's not a good thing to think about. The thing is, I know that she wants to put up with me. In fact, when we were dating, her younger brothers and sisters couldn't comprehend that their wonderful sister would want somebody like me. In fact, one of them, 11 years old, looked at me and says, You're not getting our sister without a fight. Come on, little boy. We'll take care of that one. No, that's not what I did. I already knew the answer. Amen. She had chosen to love me. God says, listen. I don't want you to think about it. I want you to know it. I want you to know the fact that I, as a creator God of heaven, care more intimately about your life than you could ever understand. It's beyond your comprehension. Know it. Don't think about it. It's beyond the ability of the human mind to think. Amen? And then when we get down to chapter 4 and verse 1, he tells us, I want you to do something else. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He says, I'm begging you by this love of God that is so far beyond your ability to think that you'll know God's love and that you'll walk worthy of the calling that God has given you. These are the things that God wants us to think about. Amen? We spend too much time thinking about the wrong things. The reason why we often think about things in certain ways is because we doubt that they've happened. Don't doubt God's love. It's there. The Bible tells us all about it. Amen? His death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. People say, how can you, as a logical, rational person living in the 21st century, believe a Jewish man died for you and rose again from the dead? That doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, it never was intended to make sense. The Bible says it's, Foolishness. But unto them which believe, it's the power of God unto salvation. I believe. And there's more evidence for believing in Jesus than there is for believing in anything else. You look at the lives of people who truly know Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be thinking in meekness and loneliness of heart how we can bear one another's burdens and really help each other. Amen? You're not going to find that out in the world. When suffering comes in the life of a true Christian, I commit my soul to him that is the faithful keeper of my soul, if I'm suffering for the right reasons. By the way, if I'm suffering for the wrong reasons, I still go to him and I confess my sin and he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness so I can get back to that point to where the suffering is the right kind of suffering that will build my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we come here. Don't try to figure out how good heaven's going to be. Some people try to build a place called heaven built on human experiences. Let me tell you, it's above all that you could ask or think. It's above your ability to comprehend. You just let God take care of heaven. You get busy knowing the love of God and walking worthy of the vocation. And one of these days, you're going to wake up and you'll be there. Amen? Might be sooner than we think. This is how we combat the confusing back and forth that is going on in our society today. I can't help everyone. Wish I could. But I'm going to spend my time looking for people who want this book called the Bible and try to help them understand what it says. Amen? When suffering comes, I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure out why all these awful things are happening to me. I'm going to trust God. 
And if I'm suffering because of something wrong that I've done, I'm still going to trust God. But I'm going to go to him and get it right. Amen? I want to know and live in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ every day. I don't have to understand it. But I did surrender to it. August 28, 1977 is the best decision I've ever made in my life. That's when I got saved. Now, I'm supposed to walk in it. So that when people look, they can see Jesus. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to agree with your thinking. But if we'll make our thinking agree with the Scripture, we'll find out that this confusing world's a whole lot easier to live in. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer at this time, and we would ask that you would help us to put aside ourselves and the things that would interfere with our ability to understand your word and simply be obedient to it. Lord, I ask that you would help us to learn how to think biblically. That we would allow the meditation of our hearts, the things that we think about, to be in agreement with your scripture. We pray that you would save us from being crusaders, trying to solve everyone else's problems. That you would save us from trying to figure out why you let this thing happen to us. And that you would save us from trying to understand things that you never meant to be understood. Lord, we do pray that you would help us find somebody to lend a helping hand to according to your word that we would commit our suffering to the one that keeps us and we would walk worthy of the calling that you've called us. Lord, there's so much more that could be said. So many things that were said that may have been better left unsaid, but Lord, we pray the Holy Spirit would have freedom to use this time around your word to draw us to be more obedient to it. We ask that decisions would be made in the next few moments based upon your word that would change the way we live this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just stand together. The hymn of invitation this morning. We're not